Good morning, world. Welcome to another episode of Zen Dependently Minded. If you are a new or returning listener, I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you're interested in more combat sports, news, analysis, and predictions like this, stay tuned because it's only going to get bigger and better from here. And this episode is obviously going to be, this is the first combat sports episode I've done in a long time. And it's been a long time coming. I've just been busy. I've been kind of burnt out and there haven't really been any events that I've wanted to talk about. I'm not going to, even though it was a really good fight card, uh, I was not going to do a whole, my schedule changed too. So I've been like, I have to wake up early on Saturdays and work in uh, weekends right now, but the fight nights have actually been good. Uh, just haven't, just haven't really had the urge to do them, but I'm back and I'm going to be doing them for I'm, I should be doing them for the fight nights. I'm definitely going to be doing them for the pay-per-views, for sure. But I've been paying attention, been watching the fights like normal. This time, I'm just not watching them live. I got to not look at my feed on my phone, go straight to work, and uh, look at the look at the replays. Anyway, obviously, this is going to be a full full prediction and analysis for the entire main card for UFC 266, which is headlined by Featherweight title fight between Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega. So, starting off with the first fight, and I'm also going to talk about uh, Anthony Joshua and, and uh, Alexander Usyk, which is another really exciting boxing match. For the first time in forever, we're getting a good boxing match. I mean, we had old Pacquiao in his last fight before he retired fighting um, Ugas, which I was, I was totally expecting Pacquiao to win, but didn't expect Pacquiao to look that old. But anyway... First fight on the main card. So actually, you know what? I'm going to start with a couple prelim fights because there are some prelim fights that are really good. Honestly, the entire prelim card is all, is also great. So yeah, so so with the prelims, I want to talk about mainly two fights. So we have Marlon Marais and Marab Davalishvili. So Marab is a guy who likes to take people down. He He likes to grind out wins. I believe he has, I don't think he has any knockouts in the UFC, but he's a really dangerous guy. He's only 30. He's, you know, he's been able to prove recently that he can fight some of the better guys in the division. He completely, I mean, he was only able to land two takedowns, but he was able to beat and then basically get John Dodson uh, cut from the UFC. Rob doesn't have any Finishes in the UFC. He's only been finished once, um, where he was knocked out against Ricky Simon. So Ricky Simon is no bum, but Marab is a is a takedown machine, and Marlon Rice is one of the more dangerous guys. Who's he's been on a skid lately. He he lost that title fight to Henry Cejudo, I believe, and then won that weird decision where I felt felt that Jose Aldo did enough to win, but I didn't technically disagree. Because Marlon brought up a good point. Jose Aldo just comes forward, and that's really it. He doesn't do much with what he what he does when he comes forward. But so Marlon Rice is on a he's on a you know uh, I think a three fight losing a two fight losing streak. So I mean it's not that bad. He got knocked out by two really great fighters. He got knocked out by Corey Sandhagen, which I thought was an early stoppage, and then Rob Font. So you know he's on a tough stretch, but he's dangerous, man. We saw what he did to you know how he was destroying and chopping at Henry Cejudo's legs. 
We saw what he did to to Aljamain Sterling, who I do believe is the second best fighter in the bantamweight division. But I'm going to get to that, obviously, when that rematch with Peter Yan comes, which, by the way, I think is going to be more competitive, but I'll talk about that later. So this is an interesting fight because Marlon Moraes is dangerous on the ground. He's got he's got submission skills. He like he I'm I'm pretty sure he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Uh I don't think he only has a couple submission wins in the UFC, but he's proven to be dangerous on the ground. Not a lot of people like to go to the ground with him. So and because he's such a dangerous striker, I could see him wanting to stand up. And Marab has shown he's shown holes in his game before. He was getting pieced up a little bit the few times that John Dodson was actually throwing strikes. He was getting pieced up there. He's been knocked out, like I said, by Ricky Simon. So this is going to be an interesting fight. Marlon is not going to let Marab just continue to spam takedowns against him. But Marlon has also had stamina issues in the past. So there are a lot of factors coming into this fight. And it's amazing because it's just a prelim fight. It's just a prelim bout. I'm so excited for this one. I'm hoping to see Marlon return to form and try to climb back up the rankings because imagine how fun a fight would be between like a possible rematch between Aljamain and Marlon uh, for a title eliminator. Well, I don't know. If Peter beats Aljamain, I don't think he can get get back into the title picture that easily. But imagine a fight between Peter Yan and Marlon Rice For the first two rounds that Marlon has stamina before he blows his load, that, that's going to be some of the best rounds, best five or ten minutes in bantamweight history, possibly. So I'd love to see Marlon win. Marab is on, like I said, he's put together a nice streak, but he's shown that he's pretty one-dimensional. So I'm picking Marlon Rice to win this one. I'm picking him to win by decision because this is only a three-round fight. So coming up in another fight that I wasn't really expecting but something I'm really excited about, mad respect to both guys. We have Dan Hooker and Nazrat Hackprest. So obviously Nazrat's coming in. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He's going to be emotional. He's going to try to win one for his mom because I believe his mom died recently. So rest in peace to her. Thoughts and prayers to him and his family. And what a savage not pulling out of the fight and going straight into fighting a, a solid, dangerous competitor in Dan Hooker. We've seen what Dan Hooker did to... Charles Oliveira, we've seen what he did to Ally Aquinto, who's tough as nails. He did unfortunately get knocked out really quickly by Michael Chandler. He went in a five-round war with Dustin Poirier, which I believe was, I don't know, I, I believe it was pretty one-sided. I thought Dustin was beating the shit out of him. But there were some moments, and Dan Hooker has always been dangerous. All those guys from City Kickboxing are dangerous. And Dan's only 31. Nazrat's only 26. Both guys had visa issues, they were able to get into the country to get ready to fight with only a couple days notice. Dan Hooker, I believe, made weight. Um, have they done the weigh-ins yet? I think, yeah, I think Dan Hooker made weight, and he had one day to cut weight, but he's a lanky guy. He's a tall guy. I, You know, he's built like welterweight, almost like a middleweight, and if you've seen him spar with Israel Adesanya and hold his own before, so he's a big dude. Uh, and he makes 155, and he, he didn't seem like he had any issues with the weight cut. I saw he was smiling. He didn't look dead like TJ Dillashaw or Featherweight Connor when he was in that sauna. So this is going to be an interesting one. It, I'm I'm really kind of torn on this one because I thought Dan Hooker was older than he is. Dan Hooker has lost his last two fights, got knocked out 
by, you know, a really powerful overhand by Michael Chandler. And then Nasrat, he's coming off of a win, an impressive win where he thoroughly outstruck uh, Hoffa Garcia. And then a couple fights back, he got knocked out by Drew Dober pretty quick into a fight. Um, so Nasrat's just kind of coming into his own. And this fight is without a doubt going to be his toughest test. This this could possibly get him a ranking um, in the lightweight division. So it's going to be a fun one to see lightweight Kelvin Gastelum um, go square off against Dan Hooker. I believe Dan Hooker is, I believe he's still ranked. Dan Hooker is ranked number eighth. So yeah, absolutely. If Nazrat can beat Dan Hooker, he will he will gain a, a number next to his name for sure by the by the beginning of next week or whenever they do the rankings. But I just believe that Dan Hooker he just has a, a pretty decent reach advantage. He's taller, and I just think overall he's a better. He's a better fighter. He can mix in his takedowns. We saw his, the takedowns keep him in the fight with Dustin Poirier. We saw the takedowns basically win him the fight against Paul Felder. And I just think Dan Hooker is too dangerous and he's too good of a fighter. And I think Nazrat is not ready for this kind of competition. But I'm hoping for a good fight. And I would love to see either guy win. I'm a fan of both guys. And yeah, it's an interesting one. So that's just the prelims. We're getting to the good stuff. The bet, the, the, the gooey butter cake. For anybody from the Midwest who's ever had that, it's, it's literally heaven, heaven food. It's angel food. So, starting off with the first fight, the main card. Should not be on the main card. I believe it should be in the prelims. But, Jessica Andrade is the sole reason. Yeah, I don't know. Cynthia, Cynthia Calveo, she headlined a fight night last year, which was rough. I think it was against uh, Jessica I. Oof, that was rough. But anyway, Jessica Andrade is a fun, still young, but, you know, kind of, she's been around for a while. She's got, this will be her 31st fight, um, professional MMA fight. And, you know, she's dangerous as always. She We saw her knock out Kaylin Chikagian by, by a body shot. We saw her, she did get outstruck, but she was starting to come into her own against Rose Namajunas in the rematch at UFC 251. We saw Jessica Andrade uh, beat Rose Namajunas by slamming her on her head after getting... She was getting thoroughly outstruck too, but then, you know, it doesn't matter. You could be losing 24 minutes and 59 seconds of a fight, but if you knock someone out or you submit them at the very end of the fight, it doesn't matter what was happening up until that. But we saw her lose to Wiley Zhang. Wiley Zhang is, in my opinion, right there, neck and neck with with Joanna and Rose for the best fighters in the strawweight division. But we've seen Jessica do everything. We've seen her knock out fighters from Carolina Kovalich. She's showed that she can go the distance against Tisha, Tisha Torres. Granted, that was a three-round fight, but she beat Claudia Gadelia. She got beat by Joanna in Jacek. She's beat Angela Hill. She's She's fought everybody in the division including Valentina Shevchenko, which she lost to. Um, she has shown a weakness on the ground, though, which she's been submitted twice in the UFC. Um, and also, she was just getting completely demolished and then eventually finished by ground and pound by Shevchenko. So that could be the key for Cynthia to win. From what I've seen in Cynthia's fights in the past, 
she does like to go for takedowns. She does like to wrestle. She does like to grapple. Um, she she shoots for takedowns in all of her fights, and she has some submission skills. She submitted Pollyanna Botello, and you know she's she submitted Pearl Gonzalez. She's she goes for submissions. She's actively looking for submissions. So that's something that she needs to that Jessica Andrade needs to watch out for. As far as on the feet, Jessica Andrade is more dangerous. She packs a bigger punch. She's more dangerous on the feet. But Cynthia, if she's able to get Jessica down, which many people have been able to, or even if she pulls guard, she absolutely has the capability and the skills to submit Jessica Andrade. So honestly, I'm get, I'm really excited about this fight. I don't know why I was talking shit. I, I mean, this is an even fight. This is an even even money fight that I'm excited about. And I'm not sure how I see it going. Either way, I don't think there's going to be a finish. I think, man, this is a tough one. Because Cynthia has really protected her chin. I think she's only been knocked out. Actually, I don't think she's, she's never been knocked out. Cynthia Cavillo has never been knocked out. And I don't think she's ever been knocked down either. Yeah, I'm checking the stat sheets real quick. She, she has never been knocked down. So she has a tough chin. It's not easy to knock her out. Nobody's done it in the UFC, at least. So, I think, you know, I'm leaning more towards Cynthia winning by submission, possibly in the first round or in the second round real early. And I could, I just don't see this fight going to decision. But if it does, I'm going to lean more towards Jessica Andrade because submission attempts and just a couple takedowns here and there are not going to outweigh the powerful strikes that Jessica is inevitably going to land. It just is a matter of if Cynthia can take it and if she can wear out Jessica and then if she can take her to the ground and expose her kind of weak subpar ground game. So I am picking Cynthia to win by submission in the first round. So moving on to the next fight. I'm not too excited about this one, to be honest. I've never been a Curtis Blades fan. I've said it many times before. Curtis Blades talks a lot of shit for a dude who is like a middle, he's like a, a heavyweight Khabib. But, and like I, I've said before, I like wrestling. I really do like wrestling. But Curtis Blades, I mean, last year he talked mad shit. And then he went and put on one of the worst main events in recent history against Alexander Volkov. He landed 14 takedowns. It's like, Volkov, are you serious, bro? Derek Lewis just straight up got up and then decided he was, he's like, fuck this shit. And then he knocked out Curtis Blades with a nasty uppercut that left Curtis Blades moaning. And it was pretty scary, but Curtis Blades has only ever been knocked out in the UFC. Besides that, he's 14-0, and he has won no contest. And he's knocked out people with some crazy, scary elbows. I wouldn't want to take an elbow from him. But Rosenstrike, on the other hand, this dude either knocks people out, or he gets knocked out, or he gets clinched to death by Cyril Ghosn. Rosenstrike is a dangerous guy. We saw him getting thoroughly outstroke against Alistair Overeem in his second fight, his third fight in the UFC, just to knock him out with four seconds left in a five-round fight. So, Rosenstrike has always been dangerous. He's knocked out former champion Andre Arlovsky. He's knocked out former champion Junior Dos Santos. He got killed by Francis Ngannou, but he's... And then he recently knocked out Augusto Sakai, who is another dangerous guy who up until that point you know, was really looking like a solid, solid contender for the heavyweight division, which is starting to come into its own. It's 
it's definitely better than it looked a year ago. That's for sure. But so this fight's going to be interesting. Rosenstrike has... We haven't seen him really get taken down too much. He got taken down twice against Sirogan. There were no takedowns attempted between him and Sakai. He didn't get taken down against JDS. Obviously, Nganu didn't try to take him down. So takedowns, you know, many people have tried. A couple people have tried quite a few times to take him down. He's only ever been taken down a couple times. And his biggest weakness that he's shown is people with with um with a big reach advantage. And Curtis Blades, he has a, about a five centimeter reach advantage over Rosenstrike. So I don't think that's gonna come into into uh, I don't think it's gonna be a big enough factor early on. Um, just because Curtis Blades is not a striker, he likes to wrestle people and, and try to demolish them with with elbows. And I, I do, but on the other hand, like I said, Rosenstrike either gets knocked out with one exception of a decision loss where he got clinched to death or he knocks people out. And I think that is what Rosenstrike's going to do. I think Rosenstrike is going to, he's going to play the fight, you know, smart. It's going to look kind of dangerous in the beginning. He's going to stuff takedowns, maybe get taken down a couple times, but he's going to eventually find the hole. He's going to play it patient and he's going to time his shot perfectly and he's going to take out Curtis Blades and give Curtis Blades his fourth knockout loss and his second knockout loss in a row. So I think Rosenstrike is going to knock out Curtis Blades in round three. So moving on to this fight, I'm still excited about this fight. Middleweight bout between Robbie Lawler, former champion, former welterweight champion, against Nick Diaz, former, you know, still a fan favorite, former title challenger for the welterweight division last time we've actually saw him fought i believe was at when he fought gsp and that was in like 2016 so that was before you know i i wasn't really following mma too much back then i barely knew a couple fighters names i knew gsp i knew anderson silva i knew uh, brock lesnar and john jones of course i've been a john jones fan since i was like 10 or 11 when he first got in the ufc and I was like, holy crap, this guy's never lost. And then one time my cousin actually pranked me and he was like, oh, John Jones lost. And I was like, what the, what? So I was like, I didn't have access to the internet. So I had to wait. And I was begging like my dad or mom to look it up for me. And he was like, no, I hadn't lost. Or he had that, that, uh, bullshit, uh, disqualification. But anyway, I am still excited about this fight. But I'm a little less excited seeing Nick Diaz shadow boxing. Now this could just be him, you know, tired from a from you know training. He could have possibly been weight cutting. He could just be tricking us all. The good thing with Nick Diaz is that there was that crazy interview that he did like a year and a half or two years ago where he sounded he was slurring his words so hard and I was like, "Man, I don't want to see this guy fight." Dana was like, "Why do people want to see him fight?" I didn't want to see it. I was worried for the guy's health. Nothing came from it. There was talks and possibilities that he was going to fight Jorge Masvidal to avenge, you know, that loss that his little brother took, but nothing happened. And then out of the blue, Nick Diaz is fighting Robbie Lawler in a rematch that first, the first time they fought was like 2006, I think. It was so long ago. I definitely was not watching the UFC back then. 2004, bro. I was, let's see, this was April 2004. I was four years old. And obviously we all know how that went. Robbie landed a couple nice shots on Nick Diaz, but Nick Diaz was 
actually able to knock out Robbie with one punch. So obviously that was pre-USADA Robbie Lawler. So that was Robbie Lawler kind of not in his prime, but he was coming into his prime. So I think the main thing that's hit Robbie Lawler lately is just he's been in too many wars. He's gotten too much brain damage. And then also he is not on performance enhancing drugs anymore. So yeah. I'm torn on this one, guys. I think this is a close one, but I just think Nick Diaz has a real chance to come in and really beat up a punching bag for 15 straight minutes because Robbie Lawler has done absolutely nothing in his last three or so fights. I want to say his last fight was against Neil Magny, where he got just out-wrestled and out-grappled for 15 straight minutes. Before that, got completely demolished by Colby Covington. For that, Ben Askren was able to tap him out um, or put him out by a bulldog choke. Before that, Rafael Dos Anjos outstruck him. And then before that, he was able to beat Cowboy in a pretty closely contested fight. So it's been quite a few years since we've seen prime Robbie Lawler. So I'm a bit hesitant when, you know, siding with him, especially with how he's, you know, how he's been, how he's looked lately. And also seeing is how he hasn't fought in over a year now. And like I said, the last fight that he fought in, he looked like trash. So I just, this is this is, this is kind of an, a tough one for me to pick. But I, I really truly do believe as long as Nick Diaz is just tricking us with that shadow boxing, I think he's going to come in and he's going to put on a striking clinic against Robbie Lawler. And I'm not quite too sure he's going to knock him out because only a couple have been able to do that. But I just think Nick Diaz is going to come in, put on a striking clinic, make Robbie Lawler look like a punching bag, and this could possibly be Robbie Lawler's last fight. But I don't think Nick Diaz should get a title shot after this. I don't want to see Nick Diaz anywhere near Kamaru Usman. I love Nick Diaz. I think he's the better, more talented brother of the Diaz brothers. But I don't want to see him fight Kamaru Usman. I just think that would be fucked up. I think Kamaro could do some serious damage to him. I just, I don't want to see that. But I'd like to see Nick fight again. If he looks good, um, you know, does, he doesn't continue to slur his words too much anymore. I would love to see him fight Jorge. Maybe Leon Edwards, maybe Wonderboy. Um, you know, there's a lot of people in the welterweight division he could fight. San, uh, Santiago uh, Ponzinibbio. Maybe he could fight uh, Hamzat. You never know. But yeah. At the end of the day, I do think Nick Diaz is going to look better. I think he's, I'm not going to say he's been in less wars, but he's been smashed by less insane people like Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler got hit with one of the hardest shots Tyron Woodley has ever thrown in his entire career, and he landed right on the button and put him out, basically with one shot. He was basically done as soon as he hit the ground. So I think Nick Diaz is going to... Yeah, like I said, I don't want to re keep repeating myself, but I I do think Nick Diaz is going to put on a striking clinic and he's going to win by decision against Robbie Lawler. Moving on to the co-main event, we have another victim for Valentina Shevchenko. In all seriousness, I think Lauren M Murphy is one of the most uh, underrated fighters in in the division, in the, the women's bantamweight division. She's old. This is definitely... This is definitely her last title shot, I, I can see, unless she puts up a really good fight against uh, Valentina. Lauren's never been finished in the UFC. She's only lost close decisions. I I didn't see 
she like more than tripled Sarah McMahon's output in her UFC debut. She got taken down four times, which is it's gonna be something that Valentina is definitely gonna exploit. She's never been finished. I don't think she's ever even been knocked down. She she has a few knockouts. She has decision wins. She's shown she can go the distance, um, and she's put together an, an impressive group of victories lately. She she submitted Lilia Shakarova, which was a surprise for me. I was picking Lilia to win that fight. Yeah, um, and then she beat Joanne Calderwood in a in a pretty closely contested uh, decision fight. So it's going to be interesting to see. But at the end of the day, I think. Valentina Shevchenko is unbeatable. I think the only person on the planet that can beat her is Amanda Nunes. I don't think there's another person on the planet that could beat her. I think Wiley Zhang could possibly put up a, a good fight, but at the end of the day, she's going to crumble, and we saw her get knocked out by Rose recently. So I just think it's a matter of how long is Lauren Murphy going to last. And I'm going to be honest. I see her lasting three rounds, maybe four at the most. If Valentina's not really feeling it, not landing her shots. Lauren has showed great tenacity. And she's, like I said, she's never been knocked down. She's never been finished in the UFC or in her professional career. All of her losses have been by decision. And they've been usually when she gets outgrappled. Uh, rarely is she getting outstriked by anybody. Outstruck by anybody, at least on the feet. Um, but it's just a matter of how long will it take for Valentina to finish you. And I just think... It'll take three or four rounds. I think Valentina is too crisp on the feet. She's too quick. She's too powerful. The only person that could beat her, and who has beaten her already twice before, is Amanda Nunes. And I think we could possibly see that third fight in the future. But I just think Valentina is going to start piecing up Lauren too much on the feet, and then maybe cause Lauren to panic, panic, uh, die for a takedown, panic, die for a leg, and then Valentina is going to unleash hell on her and she's going to beat her by tko on the ground in the third round that is my official prediction so valentina shevchenko by tko third round co-main event she will retain her flyweight belt moving on to the featherweight division we have a highly anticipated bout between brian ortega so this is one that i've you know up until doing some film study recently going through their UFC careers, I thought was a little closer, and I still think it's a close fight, because both guys are extremely dangerous, both guys are extremely tough, and it's just one of those where it's really going to come down to, I think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to cardio, and I think it's going to come down to just overall toughness, and this is a fight that we could totally see a rematch for in the future. So, we have Volkanovski versus Brian Ortega. Obviously, Brian Ortega has only lost one fight in the UFC. That was to Max Holloway, one of the most brutal beatings of, you know, in in UFC history, and the second it's the second most brutal beating I think I've seen in UFC history. Number one was Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater, and then Volkanovski, on the other hand, has only ever lost one fight. wasn't in the UFC. I did think he lost to Max Holloway. I thought that Max Holloway won that second fight, but I can absolutely see why the judges scored it for Alex Alexander. Um, and, you know, we've seen Volkanovski get hurt on the feet, but he's such an athlete. Like, he got knocked down against Chad Mendez. He got knocked down 
very briefly, but a couple times against um, Max Holloway in the second fight. So we've seen just how ten tenacious and how gritty Volkanovski is. And the same with Ortega, because Brian Ortega hadn't really been tested until he fought Max Holloway. And then Max Holloway just beat him until his eye was completely swollen shut. And they just, the doctor couldn't let him go on. And then Max won via knockout. Uh, doctor stoppage but i think there's a reason why just the just the uh, one fight back from max holloway's insane record striking record breaking performance against calvin cater he wasn't breaking records against alexander volkanovsky because volkanovsky to me i like to call him the great equalizer because he goes in and he completely he basically nullifies chad mendez wrestling uh, forces him into a boxing match, does get knocked down, but ends up finishing Chad Mendez. He's done the same thing with uh, with uh, Jose Aldo. He was able to outstrike Jose Aldo, an all-time great. So many people consider him the greatest featherweight of all time. And I just think Brian Ortega's kind of gritty kickboxing, wild throwing elbows and spinning back fists, and then uh, you know he's really dangerous on the ground with his jiu-jitsu. I think that's something that Volkanovski has not really faced before in the octagon, at least not in the UFC. So, that all being said, when you take a guy like Ortega, I, I like to compare him to Tony Ferguson. He has that crazy style. He's constantly, you know, constant forward pressure, really tough chin. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of times, more so with Tony Ferguson, his victories would be like Hail Mary's. And that's just not going to work with Volkanovski. Volkanovski is too smart. He'll be ready for leg locks. He'll be ready for guillotines. And I just see him. I just see him being, you know, a smarter, higher IQ fighter than Brian Ortega. And he also has a reach advantage, which is surprising because Volkanovski kind of looks like a small guy. He's got deceiving. He's got a deceiving uh, reach. So. This is a really close fight, but it's just, I just think Ortega looked great against the Korean Zombie, but the Korean Zombie's made a, his literal nickname comes from him just being able to get beaten up a lot, and oftentimes not finished. So, when you have to take a guy who's letting you beat the shit out of him for five rounds, you're going to look good. And I'm not discounting Chan Sung Jung, the Korean Zombie's toughness or anything, I just... I just think it kind of bolstered Brian Ortega a little more than he deserved. So I'm picking Volkanovski to win this one. I can absolutely see it going to decision, but I can also see Volkanovski knocking Ortega out. But I can also see Ortega submitting Volkanovski or even finishing him because he's such a dangerous fighter. This is such a fun fight. I'm bummed out I don't get to see it live, but I think if I wake up early enough, I might be able to catch it while I'm on the way to work. Of course, I'm not going to watch it while I'm driving. That would be stupid. But my official prediction is going to be Volkanovski via... Oof, it's a tough one. Via fourth round knockout. Volkanovski has a chip on his shoulder. Oh, another thing I wanted to bring up. He brought up how Brian Ortega popped and tested positive for a steroid after his UFC debut. And that's something that really has me losing a little respect for him. But he's still a great fighter, still super dangerous. 
Um, and it's going to be fun to see what happens. But I, I am picking Volkanovski to win via decision. So that's going to wrap it up for is independently minded number whatever whatever are this is technically MMA minded and it's been a while since I did one like I said but hope you guys enjoyed the episode stay tuned uh Monday nah Tuesday Monday or Tuesday is going to be my next is independently minded with the world events and and the crazy off the cuff stuff so hope you guys enjoyed the episode as always stay safe stay away from those crazies out there thank you mm-hmm.